0: This is a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, The Business Station. Good morning. This is Frida Liu. You're listening to Her Vantage. In this way, we speak to women of influence and leadership. The recently concluded Rainforest World Music Festival in Kuching celebrated its twenty fifth physical anniversary, followed by the Borneo Jazz Festival, Miri, helping these. To bring these festivals back to reality is Carrie Shepherd, who wears many, many hats. And of course, we'll want to talk a little bit about what's happening throughout But we've got to start a little bit with yourself, Karen. Uh, I know, you know, your first hat, you're a freelance writer and copy editor and on a, on a range of topics, often throughout related for businesses, educational institutions and also magazines with your own website. And that's Surava. Sarawak, Did I pronounce that correctly? You did. Uh, Yeah. So what, and and Sarawak is spelled C-E-R-A-V-A. What were you doing prior to coming home? And, you know, what made you decide to come home to do this?
1: Well, before that, I think I should be a little bit nerdy and tell you what Sarawak is. Mm. uh, Because I believe you're a Sarawakian yourself. Sarawak is, in fact, the first recorded, written version of (gasps) Sarawak. written by Portuguese cartographers in the 16th century. So right. that's where the name comes from. Right. Kind of a linking of the old and the new. And you're absolutely right. I do write a lot about Sarawak. Yeah, I mean, writing's my first love and my primary skill, I suppose, my primary job. Um, so I've now lived about half my life in Europe and half my life in Sarawak. Right. OK. Um, before I came back, I was writing.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, In fact, I worked for a newswire in the UK and for some business-to-business publications. Um, And then my father got sick. Mm. So we decided to come home. Um, My father lived here for many years Mm. in Sarawak. Right. And um, so I retrained as a teacher. And I was an educator for 10 years, teaching English, literature and language. Um, Because I suppose writing is not my first love. Actually, reading is my first love. Right. Right. and I guess reading and writing is a way for me, on my return to Iraq, to really connect with some of the themes that I could see coming out and some of the changes that were going on in Sarak. And, of course, the amazing culture and heritage and lifestyles. So I became an observer, I suppose. Of, right. uh, an observer with some kind of inside access. Right, right. Um, so I, I love writing about Sorak because there's not that much mm popular writing about it. And it is such a fascinating place. So that eventually, I, I mean, I had a lot of freelance clients. And that eventually led me to starting my own website, Right, um, really telling Serac stories um, and experiences, not so much that I'd had, but that I'd observed right. in my last Fifteen years
0: okay. since I came home. Right. No. So no. The Surava thing was uh, is quite astounding for me, and I think I might have read it somewhere. But it's like, wow. Okay. That's the, that's the history behind it, I, and we could go on into the the origins of the name and all that, but we won't. Because then, okay. So that was your background, leading you to come back, and we'll get to the rainforest in just <laughs> a moment. But you know, after that, you were also involved in Borneo Lab, right? Uh, what What's Borneo Lab?
1: Well, I mean, if you, you do know Kuching very well, um, we're actually a very tight-knit creative community, in right. fact, and I, mm. I, I do describe myself as creative, mm. uh, I hope I am. Um, Borneo Lab is a kind of art collective that's started by an architect, Wendy Teo, mm. who also was in the UK for, for some years studying um, and she does an amazing range of projects. She's really trying to draw together the creative and artistic communities of Kuching. And there's quite a number of people who are involved in the same process and idea, mm. um, because we're really seeing this amazing time in Sarawak when the creative communities are, are burgeoning and kind of trying new things. And But, I mean, trying new things based on a kind of unique Sarawak identity and a traditional culture that has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years so it's a very exciting time to live in Kuching so uh, Borneo Lab were very interested in publication also Mm. Uh, they're very successful online um, obviously based on their artistic work Um, but there was an idea about publication having weight and longevity that I think they wanted to explore so that's how I got involved with them doing a book publication. Right. So I was their kind of content writer and editor for a while.
0: Okay. And then this other hat that you're wearing right now, right? and it's, it's, I guess it all connects, right? I know how Sarawak works. Um, you know, you're part of the community, you're involved with the uh, the Rainforest World Music Festival and the Borneo Jazz Festival, um, you know, where, you're, where you were content director, you know, and w- before we get to that, you know, we've just celebrated the 25th at a physical event. What were some of the outcomes from, from that event? Uh, from the last, the last festival was a
1: resounding success. Mm. Um, we were all very uncertain what was going to happen mm. post-pandemic. Um, of course, when we started planning, there were actual quarantines still in place. We had no idea whether we'd be able to get artists in, um, and the idea was for a hybrid festival. Mm. Um, last year, uh, obviously, it was cancelled in 2020, right. and then last year. I mean, Sarawak is really quite experimental. Last year, they decided they were going to go virtual and do a virtual show. And I believe that was the first in Malaysia, and it ended up winning a Responsible Tourism Award. Um, so this year, hybrid was the idea. And and I think, you know, mm. I, I don't mean to sound patronising, but it's heartening to see Sarawak try these kinds of mm. new new ideas. And so we were pioneers I suppose in mm. a way certainly pioneers in Sarawak trying to put together these two two different streams of content mm. um, both for an, a live audience and a uh, an online audience. The live audience we were not very certain of in the beginning, yeah. but then obviously on the first of April the borders opened right. and there they were. <laughs> so, I mean, it was it was packed right. in the end, right. and really very close to how it had been in two thousand and nineteen in terms of crowd size. And I think people were so overjoyed mm. to be back at the Trout Cultural Village and to be listening to live music again mm. and to be meeting up with their friends. Uh, I mean, Rainforest is are very much like this. Mm. Uh, you see similar people coming back year after year and it's very much a rainforest reunion. That's what we right. we describe it as. And, and um, what about the Borneo Jazz Festival? Uh, Borneo Jazz, I was involved in last year as part of the virtual experience, but not this year. Right. Um, I think with both streams, they decided it was better to divide the two mm. to different production companies. Um so I can't really comment on that but I was told by a friend that they had an excellent lineup and it was it was a right they went back well to received. to physical
0: as well yes right yes okay
1: so I think certainly for music festivals while hybrid is a great experiment and a great way forward uh And I think it is the future in so many ways. Mm. You can't beat that live feeling and the live event. And that's really what people want to experience. Dancing in the mud. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's actually a draw. You know, you haven't lived until you've danced in the mud at some festival somewhere. And you're not going to get that in your front room. (laughs) The marsh pit.
0: (laughs) The marsh pit. Um, You know, okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about how you're also content director uh, for the UNESCO Creative Cities application. I want to talk about that. Right after this, stay tuned to Her Vantage BFM
1: 89.9. Building First World Malaysians. BFM 89.9, the business station.
0: Morning. this is Frida Liu. You're listening to Her Vantage, and this is where we speak to women of influence and leadership. I'm here with Karen Shepherd, um, And Karen here uh, does many, many things. And uh, of course, the most she's a freelance writer. She's got a website, sarava. um, involved in the Borneo Lab. And she was also involved in as a content director for the Rainforest World Music Festival, which celebrated its 25th physical anniversary. So if it wasn't physical, it was more than 25 years. But what was also uh, interesting is that you were the content director Director for the UNESCO Creative Cities application. Before we get into details of what that entails, what is UNESCO Creative Cities all about?
1: Well, it's actually a network. It's the mm. Creative Cities Network, and it's um, it's 295 cities worldwide in seven different creative fields, and they each of these cities has designated under this network um, to increase cooperation between cities. And I, qu- I quote mm. vaguely that recognize creativity as a factor in strategic, mm. uh, in a factor in sustainable development. Mm. Um, so really, we are all committed to growing and improving our creative economy so that we can create more sustainable communities. Right. Kuching is the first city in Malaysia to designate in this network. Right. Um, I think there will be more coming. Mm. Um, and we have designated in the creative field of gastronomy. Right. Um, But there are six other fields, which are crafts and folk art. I always forget one. Crafts and folk art, music, uh, literature, literature, film, media arts, Yes. There's always one. (laughs) And it's not always the same one. Uh, Yeah. Design. Yes. Design. (laughs) That's the last one. Uh, But obviously, you know, the creative economy um, works as a whole. Mm. So film supports gastronomy. Craft and folk art supports music, Mm. uh, especially in a place like Sarawak. Mm. So we're really looking at how we can provide a sustainable income and a sustainable lifestyle for our creative players as a way to kind of improve our whole state, in fact. Right, right. And it's really a very vibrant and a rapidly growing network. Mm. So, I mean, the main purpose of it on the surface is to create links with these other cities around Mm. the world. Um, But obviously at home, it's to, to support our gastronomic players and our creative players. And it'd be great for tourism. And yes, and actually, UNESCO really recognised that sustainable tourism Mm. is an important factor of growth. Mm. And obviously, when it comes to things like cultural preservation and our traditional food cultures, tourism is one of the key ideas behind it, in that we want people to appreciate and enjoy our food culture. Obviously, us locals, we already know <laughs> how great our food culture is, right. um, but I think part of that is kind of spreading not knowledge about its uniqueness right around the world and sharing it with others.
0: You see, when, when, you know, when, you you know, there's seven areas, right? There's so many areas, well, there are at least two main areas that Kuching could fall fall under, right? So gastronomy and of course, culture, arts and culture, right? Because that would be my default, right? Um, Why did we highlight gastronomy for Kuching? It's a good question. Mm.
1: And like I said, I think we definitely see the project working across multiple different fields. I think there was a sort of debate between craft and folk art and right. and gastronomy. And the key I think for Sarawak is that they're they're both very closely linked mm. because of our environment. Um so obviously a lot of the materials for craft and folk art come from a similar place to our gastronomy. Um I think I, I mean Kuching had already listed as a world craft city. Mm. Um and I think we decided that gastronomy was really a very unifying factor, especially post-pandemic. Mm. Um, and also it's a it's a very, very large employer. Right, okay. So it allows us to support a lot of people along the way, um, either in the tourism industry or in the F&B industry right. itself. Um, and to be honest, Kuching people do love their food. Yes. And we have something incredibly unique right. um, that sets us apart, not just from the world, but also from the rest of Malaysia. Mm. Um, I mean obviously there are lots of amazing cities mm. in Malaysia that have equally amazing food and a lot of people say oh well, Penang or Malacca yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Right. Um and I think that's that's the key to understanding this designation that actually it's it's about uniqueness. Right. So it's about what Sarawak have to offer that the world would benefit from having preserved mm. and developed creatively. So we have we have this um incredible biodiverse environment mm. and that's really where it starts but we also have a very close relationship between our indigenous people and mm. the land that allows us to kind of appreciate these ingredients mm. and these ingredients are not available
0: anywhere else, anywhere else exactly. what was what was featured right i can imagine our you know um Pong, our Nipa Palm. i mean what else? i mean this is really so unique to surawa right what what else was was talked about um, in terms of
1: ingredients, we're looking at things like our drong assam, mm. our gula apang, yes. um, our river prawns, some mm. of our our fish, our emporal. Yeah. Um, I'm in quite a wide range. Um, and obviously some of our cooking techniques. Right. They talk about techniques that have um, survived industrialization. Mm. Um, so things like pansor cooking in bamboo. Right. Um, and... I mean, a lot of the others, are. some of the others are shared, but yeah. umai also, right. which is a very strong dish from the Milano community. Uh, to be honest, this is, this is where my involvement comes in, to mm-hmm. link me back to the beginning. Mm. Um, because in the end, we have ingredients and we have um, techniques, mm. but actually we also have a story. And I think that's mm. what I was hired to do, mm. that actually the story is more important than an individual dish. Right. About how our communities over time have linked together to support our environment, to forage ferns, to mm-hmm. transport those, to make sure they enjoyed in the right way, that our that our really important immigrant communities mm-hmm. have mixed with our indigenous communities yes. to create Entirely New Dishes. Right. Um, So really it's a long process, a storytelling process. And I think that's where my involvement started, how to put that story together of all the different peoples in Sarak over 400 years and how they have ended up having creating right.
0: this unique food culture. And, and and I guess retaining and sustaining that, right? And how long was the process? I know you had a lot of work to do. It was a 20,000 word narrative report, it's a the thesis and the <laughs> video, uh, alongside of course the, the, the application form, right? Apart from doing that, like how long was this, like we're going to do this before we f- saw the fruits of our labour? Uh, I mean, pe- I'm sorry, but people always hate me <laughs> because I always say
1: 20,000 words is nothing. I, I mean I love writing, so I can tap <laughs> that. 20,000 words quite easily. Actually, the process was much longer than my involvement. Okay, um, Because this is really a very important collaborative framework, Mm. which is what UNESCO are looking for. Um, So we're talking about government, civil society, the municipality, private enterprise, Mm. and then the creative economy, people like me. Mm. Um, So in fact, it took over a year to complete. The creation of the application, which, as you said, was a narrative report, Mm. an application form, and in fact, a bid video, um, was about four months, Mm. four very, very (laughs) busy months. But yes, uh, it had been much longer in the making than that.
0: Okay, so we were awarded last year. I think it was October, November, end of right, October. Yeah, yeah, and then of course now the markets have hope. I mean, well, the borders have opened. What are we? What are we going to do with now that we've got this? Right, UNESCO. You know, what can we do to publicize this? What are the tourism opportunities moving forward? Yeah, uh, I mean.
1: We have made a
0: commitment to UNESCO. Right.
1: Um, so we had to submit an ap- action plan with our application form. Mm. Um, obviously, we're not limited to that action plan. The, the world is our oyster, right. as it were. Right. But effectively, our job, I think, or m- my job going forward, is to raise awareness mm. about the uniqueness of guqing food. Mm. And that means well, once people are able to better appreciate what we have and what we offer and actually how difficult it is to grow in Mm. some cases, Mm. how rare it is, Mm. how... Organic and how um, healthy it is. Mm. We can then provide a more sustainable income for our providers all the way up the food chain. Right. Um, so a lot of it is focused on this idea. Mm. So we're putting together top-rated chefs to, right. to think about how we might use ingredients. Okay. We're doing programs with with our hawkers and right. our market traders. Right. It runs the whole range. In fact, uh, we are putting together um, collaborative tourism mm. projects. So. Up until now, gastronomy has always been, or food, has always been something people did as they did other things. Mm. Everyone has to eat. Mm. Um, But I think we're now trying to craft tours that specifically focus on the food chain going forward. Um, And I think this is a key trend in travel at the moment, that people are travelling to experience yeah. Where their food comes from, or where other people's food comes from, how it's supported along the way. So, I mean, we have a very famous, well, it's not a very famous rice industry, <laughs> actually, <laughs> but it should be a very mm-hmm. famous rice, rice industry. Right. So, and uh, one of the ideas about becoming an indigenous person, mm. if you want to enter an indigenous community and be accepted, right. you need to be able to complete the rice cycle right. in an indigenous community. The rice right. cycle is very, very important. Right. So ideas like that will come through in our kind of tourism agenda going forward. Okay. Um, what it's like to right. to plant and grow and harvest your own rice. Wow. And then a... eat it freshly steamed. Uh, or, or have <laughs> it in twaq.
0: Well, uh, yes, exactly. right. Okay. And then while you're there, get your tattoo. Yes, then ferment it. Right, so, <laughs> <laughs> that will be the end end result. Um, and I guess, like, how can corporations and sponsors participate? Or how would you like them to be part of that journey together with individuals? Right. I mean, um, this is such an important
1: question mm. because obviously, one of the key UNESCO ideas or UN ideas is partnerships for the goals. Mm. This is the only way that the creative economy is going to work if private enterprise. Are SDG 17. In, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is one of the reasons why private enterprise is so important. Right. Um, and actually, why the balance between all these different agencies is so important. Mm. I mean, government have their role and their way of doing things, and private enterprise have their own. So, right. the two can have to work together. Uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of corporations now have a CSR element to them. Um, and they want to be allied to this kind of program. Mm. Um, not just allied, but they also yeah. want to, to give back to the community. Right. Um, so they can Im- involve themselves through their CSR programs to mm. support different projects that we're doing, um, and they should have a look at our website, and we will, of course, be reaching out to people as we go forward. Mm. Um, I, I mean, obviously, there is a certain promotional aspect to this also, this raising mm. awareness aspect. So there are... Additional benefits for corporations to be involved in terms of knowledge sharing, in right. terms of connections that they can make in terms of how their product can uh, – or their participation in these mm. projects can can be promoted widely. Right. Um, but, yes, I, I mean, I think for us also there's a knowledge sharing – Capacity, Because obviously we need private enterprise Mm. to advise our our smallholders and our Mm. schoolholders going forward. It's that kind of exchange that this network is, in fact, all about, Mm. this sharing of information and knowledge and skills Mm. so that we can become a more sustainable community
0: as a whole. So, looking forward to more exciting things coming out of my beloved state, Sarawak. Uh, I was speaking to Karen Shepherd. You've been listening to her vantage. This is BFM eighty nine point nine. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. For more stories of the same kind.